Play 2, you're awake. It's me, Kitty Yen, the old geek. You know, from the land of Pod? Oh, we've missed you. Come on, we've got to go to the inn. We've got to talk about this Harry Potter controversy and a maniac and Joker. Those are two separate subjects. And Teen Titans? Why Forkknife is in some ladies' magazine at the moment? Come on, play too. Let's roll. Player two, come in, sit down. It's been a while, but not too long, right? Yeah, finally getting back to the tavern quite a bit. I've got so much news in the Lander pod to tell you about, and all the quests. We don't have time. Okay. First off, Pokemon Go has some interesting news. Turns out, according to GoNintendo.com, the most well-known of all Pokemon Go players, Brandon Tan, who I've never heard of, has been banned from the game. Apparently, he was selling in-game Pokemon and has five accounts, which is in violation of the terms of service, so he's out. But if you aren't Tan, the Farfetch'd, Kankashan, Mr. Mime, and Tauros, there's seven kilometer eggs that should have been hatched already. Well, now you have until October 8 to hatch them, which is very good news. Except for the Mr. Mime thing. Why would you want more Mr. Mimes? Who hurt you? In related news, sort of, Bowserette. I mean, maybe Bowserette didn't hurt you. Maybe she did. Maybe he liked it. I'm not here to judge. Oh, you don't know about Bowserette? The story now goes that Princess Peach's crown was put on Bowser and Bowser became a lady. So Bowser is a lady now. Very buff lady. And you know me, player two, I like to think I'm a very open-minded person. I'm pretty accepting and inclusive regardless of what's going on. If it's not hurting someone, Why would I be against an idea? In fact, even if an idea makes someone uncomfortable and has hurtful aspects, I always think it's worth exploring so that you can challenge those aspects and see if anything holds true. Especially if that idea is one in the creative realm that plays with characters. But this Bowserette, there's a problem with this. Pretty significant one because people are playing with canon. While it's great to evolve things and change things up, canon is an important structure of any geekdom. When we ignore it, we're throwing away the original thoughts and designs of the people who gave us joy. If you want to change things so much so as to ignore the canon and rewrite it, then make something new, rather than taking someone else's idea and changing it, which is rude and derivative. So that's why I just, I have to say this, all of these Bowserette pictures, I take issue with most of them, all right, because a large percentage have drawn Bowserette as a blonde, when she is clearly a redhead. I'm I'm sorry, I just can't let that pass without saying it, that it's a wrong way to present the character. Bowserette is not a buff, fanged version of Peach. She's her own woman. Please draw her as such. I hope we can be friends after that. And, you know, if if you feel like you need to uh, defend blonde Bowserette and you feel you just need to send me loads of pictures of her on Twitter, well, you know what? That's just something I'm going to have to live with by you sending me loads of really nice art by talented people taking joy in a new way to see a new character. And if you send me some of Boo as well, because now there's Booette, well, I guess that's just my comeuppance, and I don't know what I will do. You know we can now see inside Harrow? Yeah, from Gundam. You know the little green ball that no one is quite sure what it is, but I think it's an evil being of unbelievable strength, power and wisdom waiting for its right time to strike? It's also super cute. And now we can Gunpla one and see inside all the bits. I swear, this was more cutesy and less disturbing in my head. 
Talking of cutesy and disturbing, the new Joker movie, no, not the standalone one with Joaquin Phoenix, the other one with Margot Robbie and the guy from 30 Seconds to Mars, is about couples counselling, apparently. Yeah, those wacky kids who are just cuckoo for crime are going to try and fix their broken relationship. That sounds like something I would watch right after Fifty Shades of, oh my god, he's emotionally abusive and this is a horror story, get out of there. That one doesn't have a release date yet, but Kingsman 3 certainly does, November 8, which was actually when the new Bond movie was meant to come out, but then didn't, and did any of us care, because it's not Henry Cavill yet. Egerton and Firth are meant to be back for the Kingsman 3, but it should be interesting given how Kingsman 2 finished. And there is some news about the Statesman TV series, you know, the Americans in Kingsman 2, which is fine. But if I want to see a heap of Americans going around solving the world's problems, there's Brooklyn Nine-Nine already, so I don't... It's not really something I'm into. One TV series I am interested in, though, is The New Watchmen. Uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross are apparently doing the music on this one. You remember Watchmen? Zack Snyder made this amazing, dark, gritty superhero movie, and the soundtrack was on point the way it is in all Snyder superhero movies. Fight me? Well, I've got the feeling Reznor and Ross could bring what is needed to this Watchmen TV series, which we don't know that much about, other than that squid reference. Speaking of Snyder, though, oh, look at that. My red hot take is ready. So Diane Nelson made some tweets recently. She's the uh, DC Entertainment president. And suffice to say, the tweets she made about the upcoming Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie, people took issue with what she said, and now she's not on Twitter anymore. So okay, first off, do not in any way mistake me for someone who's endorsing abusive behaviour. I'm not here for that. And the reason I'm putting this first is so you can be very clear as to where the weight of this needs to lie. And that's with anyone being abusive on the internet because someone else expressed an opinion about a comic book movie that none of us have seen yet and isn't finished yet. Regardless of how I personally feel about the DC neckties who have, in my opinion, done to the DC movie universe what Joker did to Jason Todd, but at least that one had fan approval. Though, in the same way, there is a way to rebuild it, but it should be brutal, surprising, and enjoyed by the fans in ways we never thought possible. Also, high back Snyder and let him do his thing. Even though I, like many others, are skeptical with good reason, even though I think her tweets were poorly worded and a bit tone deaf, the reaction to them was childish. Some of the tweets to her were valid, I think, especially with the first tweet, which makes it sound like she was having a go at Snyder. Here's what she said about the Joaquin Phoenix Joker. Love it. Great story. Great actor. Specific and string version from talented director. What DC should have been doing since Nolan, even if diehard fans struggle with his vision. That was not a good tweet. I don't mean that subjectively, as in, oh, as a diehard fan, I take offence at that. I mean, objectively, think about the tweet and its inability for her to properly articulate everything she wanted to say. And objectively, tweets are difficult like that. People mistweet all the time. As she clarified with her follow-up tweet, which was, I happen to count Zack Snyder amongst those things, if you were insinuating otherwise. No snake here. That was in response to a lot of people calling her a snake in the grass. So yes, first tweet, not so great. Second tweet, clarified. So the lesson here, kidlets, is that we know how Twitter works. We all do. I don't expect Diane Nelson or any other incredibly rich person to have a firm grasp on social media, especially Twitter, because it's very much the media of the masses, and most rich people are not the masses. Rich people can and do use Twitter, but they rarely engage in it in a way that the rest of us poor slobs do. 
If rich people want to be heard, they talk to journalists or take out ads or arrange an interview. The rest of us get on Twitter for the world to see our voices. We're better at it than them. So when they make mistakes the way Diane Nelson does, the onus is on us to be better than them in response. Ask for clarification. Wait for it. And then reward them for doing the right thing. I know. It's unfair, but if you really want to get angry, take a look around at real inequality and get mad at that. Not at the rich person whose only real crime seems to be that she was part of a group of people who ruined a Batman movie or two. Which, yes, makes me incredibly angry, but being abusive on Twitter isn't going to fix that. And I actually happen to agree with Diane Nelson. In these tweets, she's not saying anything bad about Snyder. She's endorsing him. That's a good thing. Maybe that means she was always a supporter of Snyder. Sure, she could have been a snake in the grass, but maybe she was a snake for our benefit because, you know, there's a lot of good to be said for the Slytherins. Did anyone think about that, though? Did they think about what she was trying to say? No, because it's the internet and there are only two sides to any given hot take. At any given time, there is no grey. There is only contrasting colours of your text against the screen background. That's it. You know what? I actually agree with her. This movie is going to be dark. That's a good thing. And by hounding her away, you've driven away a voice of support. And I feel bad for anyone feeling they can't engage with other people without being leapt on at every opportunity. I mean, I feel less bad because she has oodles of money and power and privilege, but I still feel kind of bad for her. You know who I feel less bad for? Telltale. The executives, not not the actual people who've just lost their jobs. You would have heard about this. There's been something like 250 people laid off at Telltale. And my response to this was at first, look, we should just seize the means of production, sell the opiate to the masses, being the games, using those funds to first take care of those wronged by their employers, and then from there, which is silly, because socialism doesn't work, except where it does. Like when we acknowledge the impact class has on literally every aspect of our lives and by doing so are empowered to address and stem the tide of harm caused by inequality. A real-world example of that would be like, I don't know, universal healthcare, which even when implemented imperfectly goes a long way to helping people. In fact, the only time when it doesn't really work is when we place the value of money over the value of people's health. But enough about how this company is another symptom of everything failing. Telltale games are trash. They're not alone, but they are trash. And here's why. People worked hard for them. It's a truth universally acknowledged that a person in possession of a job is probably doing a lot more overtime than they're getting paid for. They even have a word for it in the video game industry, crunch. Because that's what it does to their souls. This isn't something that happens just in media industries, though, and I think that's important to recognise. This is happening across the board, so I find it disheartening to see anyone rejoicing for the finishing of a game while the vast majority of the workforce who were bringing you said awesome games scramble to keep themselves above water. So the takeaway in this is when any company does this to their workers, either making them crunch, not looking after them as far as harassment goes, or simply not paying them a living wage... When they tell you they care about their fans or customers, what they probably mean is, we care about your money. Because if they cared about you, the people in power would be putting in place good workplace examples in the hopes that it would trickle out to the wider workforce. I'm not saying don't buy their games. It's your money and you probably worked far too hard for it. Do what you like with it, but think about it. And finally, this Harry Potter thing. Whew. I know, you think we should be at the trash fire, but I've been thinking, player two, so hear me out. 
here's the controversy to begin with. Fantastic Beasts and something something very long name, even longer than the girl in the spider's web with the dragon tattoo or something, released more teasers recently. For you muggles out there, this is the extended Harry Potter universe. It's a prequel, if you will, that details the events leading up to Voldemort becoming a big bad that he is in the books. <gasps> I know, I said his name. Yeah, come at me, bro. I got this. Now, Nagini is a snake of Voldemort's, but also, dun dun dun, secretly a person. Wow, I did not see that twist coming, even though it's been used before and that person is played by Korean actress Claudia Kim. People were very upset, but also happy, but I mainly saw people being upset in the beginning, because it's the internet, it runs on rage. The reasoning being that Harry Potter universe is almost as white as the Oscars in past years. For someone not white to be a major character is a big deal, especially in movies that are, let's face it, far more accessible than the books and plays. They're accessible because there's no reading level or attention span barrier, and the plays are great, but let's face it, the main problem with watching a play is that you have to choke down your own envy at other people getting up on stage and getting to act while you're stuck sitting in the audience because you spend your days at a job that slowly eats your soul. No, <laughs> I'm not projecting. The point being, when the only character who isn't white is an Asian woman playing the part of a character that's viewed as being in servitude to someone who's a fascist, there's a problem with that. And I know, but representation. And I get it, but representation is the bad guy has already been done and arguably it's far less likely to see a hero of a film be someone who isn't white. Whereas the demonization quite literally of someone who isn't white is pretty regular. So that's the basic argument. It doesn't even delve into the specifics of having an Asian character with the attributes of a snake, which is also a thing. And there's also just a lot of straight up good logic in holding to that view. But there's another side. First, we don't know enough about Nagini and here's our chance to learn more about her. I haven't read the book, so could be mistaken, but what I've read about her character is one of amazing strength and fortitude. I would love her in my corner, especially if I was going to take over the world and instill a new world order, which I don't think I haven't thought about doing that. I definitely want to take over the world and I'm going to be real with you when I say you're most probably not going to like it. Yeah, my rule will be harsh and short-lived. When I saw the first pictures of Kim as Nagini, it rattled me get it? That's a snake reference. And in a good way. She looks next level. I want to know more about her rage. There's a reason she is how she is. If they do this right, they'll be able to make a fully formed character of her. This part of the franchise seems to be explaining how people get to where Voldemort got. They're explaining the intricacies of how someone falls so low and gives in to so much rage and righteousness. This is the lead up to how fascism, how othering happens in our heads and then in the world. And I totally admit, I might be seeing things that aren't there with this franchise. I mean, ultimately, it's just a lot of rich people getting to do fun things and a lot of poor people paying to go watch them do the fun thing. But also, I think right now we need to start examining how people like Voldemort and Nagini get to that position and why people follow them. You may not feel it's necessary to feel sympathy or empathy for such characters, which is fine if all you want to do in life is fight. But if you want to win and have things move forward, then you're going to have to understand that the Voldemorts of the world are not born evil. Very few of us are. The takeaway I got from the Potter movies was that everything is a choice, including whether or not you have to watch the Potter movies in order. But those choices are shaped by the opportunities we're given by those around us. Hermione is able to be a force for good because her parents are supportive, she's given the best schooling, her intelligence is nurtured, and she's in a society that more or less will support her endeavours regardless of her background. I'm not saying she has it easy, but her path is not obstructed nearly as much as it could have been if she'd been born a few decades earlier. Nagini is someone whose abilities are seen as a curse. 
much like a lot of magical beings in this prequel part of the stories. I highly doubt she's benefiting from a good education and supportive peers and good representation, so maybe the path she walks is the one where she survives, and just so happens to thrive. And I understand why that take is problematic as well, but I'd be lying if I pretended my hot take was anything other than a mixture of both sides of this, because both sides can be true and right and worthy of listening to. And I think we need to keep listening, because we've gotten to a point where we are, in general, because we stopped listening. We decided there was one side. Sometimes there would be two sides, but they would be forever opposing and could never find a common, mucky, not quite perfect middle. And I'd like that polarisation to change because it's at a point now where it's not friction that moves things forward but keeps us all firmly locked in one spot, giving those in power an excuse to not move forward. And moving forward in this instance would include having a lot more representation of everyone in movies. And that'd be pretty cool. And if you're a Harry Potter fan and you're upset because this means you can't like the books or the movies, that's not what this means. You can love something and find fault with it. It's literally what every meaningful relationship you'll ever have is. You can criticise these stories and still like them. If you want to do more to have stories that are better and more inclusive than these ones, then support stories that are better and more inclusive than these ones. You can do both. You're allowed. I'm telling you, as a self-appointed, barely-known authority on geekdom, you can love this if you want. Just don't do it blindly. Because then you'll be missing out. The whole point of Land of Pod, I've discovered, is that the best part of geekery, the best part of fandom, is tearing what you love apart and examining it. And again, I didn't mean that to sound so disgusting. I wanted it to sound sweet. I'm not very good at this. And if you don't want to read Harry Potter books anymore, might I recommend Enid Blyton? Yeah, there's quite a bit of fantasy in those books. There's some problematic stuff still as well, but there's a heap of queer characters. Especially in the non-fantasy stuff, like Mallory Towers. All those girls. Lesbians. Not as straight amongst them. Come on, play two. Put down that fork knife. I want to go talk about fork knife. Let's go. If you're wondering why we're surrounded by giant forks and knives, play it too. It's because I wasn't going to bring us on to the actual Fortnite game, the... One that's taken over pretty much everyone's lives has been responsible for divorces and kids not doing their homework. Apparently that's only started happening since Fortnite was invented. Uh, the Battle Royale game where people go and just build stuff to defend themselves against people who are shooting at them. It's actually quite fun, but I'm rubbish at it. And the reason I want to talk about fork knife, <laughs> I love calling it fork knife because it really annoys some people, is because a women's magazine over here in Australia recently had a how-to guide for Fortnite for parents. Women's Day stopped holding anything of real importance for me once Harry got engaged to Meghan. I'm very happy for them. I mean, not really. I mean, I mean, I was kind of a monarchist, but now the Republicans do whatever they want because I'm not going to get to be queen anymore. Meghan can have him, whatever. I said it was fine. But when I saw that little booklet of Fortnite how-tos with tips for parents about the game, the chance to win merch, and even a blurb on healthy screen time habits, I'm going to admit I laughed very loudly. The longer I stared at it, though, it struck a chord deep where my heart would be if Harry hadn't ripped it out by marrying that really nice woman. Which is rude, okay, because we've been dating my head for like years now, before he'd even met her. The reason for the brief and bizarre feels for this gossip mag was simple. 
made me think about my mum. All right, she's she's not dead. That's not that's not why I was tearing up. My relationship with my mum isn't typical, and I know the parent-child dynamics are strained in any relationship, and it's often adversarial for everyone at times. But our relationship is less like Freaky Friday and more like Alien. Not that I would ever suggest that I would actually airlock my mother. I wouldn't actually do it. I've thought about it, but I would never actually do it. Because despite our differences, there's always been geekery where we've found our common ground. My mum was a gamer before that word was in general usage. She played my Sega Master System more than I did, and she was really good at it. Which meant I never got to be good at it, because we promised we would take it in turns as to who died first, and I would die in like the first two minutes, and then it'd be her go again. Years later, she was on EverQuest because kids in her class were playing and she wanted them to have someone safe to go to online. She used text-based games to teach them about democracy and open class discussions about social issues. I was regaled with stories of The Hobbit as a kid. My dad's more of a fantasy and lore nerd. He built me my first wooden sword for book week. I was Joan of Arc, obviously. He'd tell me stories about pixies and gnomes around our house. When Star Trek Next Generation first aired on television, it was an event for my family. My mum was just as proud of me learning the introduction monologue to Star Trek as she was me learning any Shakespearean monologue or soliloquy. No one laughed in my family when I finally mastered the art of the Vulcan salute. That was a good thing. And while my childhood, like everyone else's, wasn't perfect, it's the moments with my parents that we'd now call geekery that remain my fondest memories. Those were the brightest points I could see, where clearly my parents loved me no matter what. Even as my tastes changed from the happy worlds of the faraway tree to the moonlit nights of the Anne Rice novels, or when I'd just spend hours upon hours in mud chat rooms. My parents always took an interest even if they didn't understand it. So that's why this little booklet attached to a magazine about royal babies and recipes for broccoli gave me a blip of feels. Not so much for me, but for the parents out there who will be reading it and levelling up their parenting skills. Just like in The Sims. Oh my god, it's like they can tell the future in that game. Oh, my parents and I were lucky because if there is such a thing as a geek gene, we all had it. So understanding each other has always been made that little bit easier. My parents don't understand anime or cosplay, but they share my happiness and are able to because they started geeking out with me when I was a kid. And whenever we've disagreed, which is all the time, or we find ourselves at a loss for what to talk about, we have geekery. My dad and I talk about A Song of Ice and Fire, my mum and I discuss Wellington Paranormal. We have entire libraries of information in our heads, subjects we can touch on, things we can share excitement for that can repair us when we push each other too far. It's the save point we can always go back to. Not everyone has that natural save point in relationships, so it's good to see there's this resource now to help parents make their own. That's before we even get into the benefits of knowing about proper screen time practices, how your kids are engaging with technology, and just generally what is going on in their world and the world in general. Fortnite may well not be this big in a year's time, but it's having a cultural impact. There are Halloween costumes for it. It's important that we engage with the world even when it's a trash fire like we've got burning right now. And aside from that, if you're a parent, play it too. You should be interested in your kid's life. You shouldn't just let them play whatever. You should be trying to be there with them, even if it's daggy and uncool, because just like video games, this is going to teach your kids skills for later in life. This is going to be your base to launch into new ways to connect with your kids, and when they're adults, they no longer need to give you their time. So it's a good reason to keep them coming back. 
And also, you're going to be a terrible parent sometimes. You're totally going to fight with your kids when they become adults. So whether it's a little booklet of how-tos or a website dedicated to healthy screen time or just picking up the controller and giving it a go for yourself, do it. And encourage other adults to do it. Even if you're not interested in what those kids are doing, because this isn't about you, it's about them. And if they're excited about anything, you should be too. That should make you happy. You should want to be someone who encourages that in a responsible way. So, go create a save point for your kids. No, it's no, this place is just dusty. That those aren't tears. Come on, we're good. we're gonna go talk about cartoons. Just sit back, just relax. I know I told you we were gonna go talk about cartoons, but that was a little trick I played on your head. Because we're going to talk about Maniac, the latest Netflix series smash that's injected itself straight into my hopeballs over an entire weekend. Much like Annie in Maniac, I swore it'd only be once and then found myself awake at 4am itching for another episode that just it never came because there's only one season out. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm totally in control. You, however, are in the weird kind of dentist chair those guys were sitting in because I thought they would just be comfortable. I'm not going to, I'm not going to delve deeply into your brain because I'm not interested in it, player two. If you want to hear nothing more about Maniac for fear I might ruin it for you, player two, turn off now. Go watch it. Come back to me. Just know that the best part of the entire series is not the mind-blowing concepts of humanity, it's not the moments of laughter or the unsettling fear that creeps around every corner. It's Blade Runner meeting Ghost in the Shell but at like a high school dance so they're just pushing against their own code but they're not ready to rebel yet so they don't dance but they stare at each other from across the room. It's like Inception but without Doctor Strange level powers. It's Cloud Atlas light and it's a binge. The best part of Maniac is the world building. Bite me on that. But only with words, so we can low-key geek out about all the different elements of this series that are super cool and fun to think about. You'll have likely already read about how Maniac plays Mind Twister with your sense of self, reality, and general ideas of what is meant to be linear storytelling. It does, but after the first few episodes where you see Ollie and Annie drifting into each other's consciousness, it stops being that disarming and confusing because you know what you're in for each time. That's not a negative. If the entire series was just episode after episode of not knowing what was going on, it would become grating and you wouldn't be able to binge it with any real enjoyment. The mind melds in this, for want of a better term, are treated like every other part of the world building this series. Everything is presented to you with minimum explanation, unless of course it's absolutely necessary. And I'm here for not having everything handed to me all at once. And I've seen plenty of people get wet seated at the quite literally cerebral parts of this. They're losing their popcorn over the deeper meaning and layers upon layers of the answers to the question, what is reality? Which is cool, not saying this series isn't an exciting and interesting look at the human condition. Certainly, the ideas around humanity, connections and how we get around in the world as meat sacks filled with chemical clusters isn't an interesting part of the series. But also, there's Sensei, Cloud Atlas, and Inception. Those already exist and delve just as much into the mind connection and humanity. This is new packaging for those ideas, which is not to say the packaging is bad. It's just not the part I'm most excited about because the world building in this is phenomenal. So it's set in, I guess, our current time, but in an alternate reality stream where tech appears low, but software seems high. Everyone's using dot matrix printers. All the screens are black backgrounds with green writing. At the same time, there's robots, shops that can dox people, and literal AI running things in the lab. If you can't pay for food or ride home on the train, you get an ad buddy. Someone who sits and reads ads to you while you do things. 
Japanese seems to be another language that, if not fluently understood by the characters, is grokked by them. Meaning, there are points in the movie where characters go from speaking English to Japanese, and their requests are followed. I'm not sure if this is simply within the confines of the lab, or whether this is a worldwide thing. It's the kind of world I imagine comes before Blade Runner or Cyberpunk, at least for people who are white and rich and middle class. There's nothing much to disrupt against, except their own angst and disconnection from the people around them, and that disconnection is key to the whole series. It's built so perfectly into the world. And I know what you're thinking, but you spoiled it telling me all the things that were in it. But I didn't. In every scene, there are things for you to look at, to peer into. The backdrops, whether they're in someone else's head or not, have been crafted with attention to detail, if nothing else. It's just fun to look at how well they've put everything together. And like I said before, there are parts that are hilarious. I'm not sure if it's just the anime fan in me, but Dr. Mantle Ray is... I just... I can't. You'll understand why I say that when you watch it. There are elements of this that make me think of anime, the, the aesthetics of the computers especially. It's not a derivative feel, and I'm not sure if it's meant to be intentional, but it's certainly a welcome element within the series. And then, of course, there's Dr. Fujita, Sonia Mizuno. <laughs> Wow, I love her. Plus, I've got Sally Field in there, Jonah Hill, Emma Stone, you know, lots of famous people that you can go and see. Player two, this one might not be right for you. But I think if you dig anime, especially those ones that dig a little deeper about humanity and sentience, then this is something you should give some time to. If nothing else, the first two episodes. It gets a little weighed down in parts, mainly because I stopped caring too much about the main characters and got heavily invested in the world of Maniac instead. I hope they make more stories in this world, because it's fun, and I want to go and play in it. I want to disrupt it. I also want to go see the Norwegian noir that it's based on. Hope you enjoy it too, Player 2. Now seriously, let's go talk about cartoons. I know we're in a bright, colourful place that is obviously cartoony. To celebrate, Teen Titans go to the movies. We're hanging out at their pad. They're off doing something. And you know what? The Teen Titans go to the movies movie? Hilarious. So I totally should have gone and seen this one before it was almost over at the cinemas, but I didn't play it too. And do you know why? Because I don't have enough respect for animation, that's why. See, Teen Titans Go! is an animated series that continued while Young Justice mysteriously got cancelled. Don't worry, it's, it's back next year, which is scarily close if you haven't done any Christmas shopping yet. Do, do two-year-olds like gift vouchers? I think they like gift vouchers. For this reason, uh, that Young Justice getting canned and Teen Titans Go! getting to continue, I decided to be petty and not pay as much attention to Teen Titans Go! as I should have. And that taught me that... On some very rare occasions, not very often, being petty is bad. I ended up playing myself because I was missing out on something delightful. Usually when I'm petty, it's just other people that suffer. So you can see how those situations are fine, but this one, obviously terrible. Teen Titans Go! the movie is dark while being eye-fizzingly hyper-coloured. If you've never really been into the DC universe and are only vaguely aware of characters like Batman, Superman and Wonder Woman, this will be a lovely rompish way to introduce you to more than just the big three. If you are a DC fan and understood my reference to DC Universe because the streaming service, anyway, if you're that big of a fan, then you're going to thoroughly be overwhelmed 
with how many references there are for fans of DC. The basic story is that all the superheroes are getting movies, except for the Teen Titans. Like, everyone, except for them. Robin is particularly upset because he takes it to mean that he doesn't have a movie because he's not a real superhero. This here is a standard arc storyline theme in most Titans Young Justice movies, where the kids are trying desperately hard to get out of the shadows of their more famous counterparts. These teen titans tackle everything with a song and some pretty messed up plans and sometimes the songs end up messed up as well. That results in even more messed up things happening as a result, which I'm there for. The animation style is more toony than other DC animations, but I think that's what adds to the darkness to it. I mean, we're talking like real Looney Tunes style. These characters can get away with doing some of the most violent or risque things because they're wacky, but also because they're toonish versions of what are pretty serious style characters. When they do something dark or violent, it packs a much bigger punch than it would if they were drawn closer to the DC animation style, which most of us are used to. I don't want to tell you what happens, player two, but it's worth your time. There are definitive laugh out loud moments and if you miss it in the cinemas go pick it up when it comes out on blu-ray and dvd definitely watch it the added bonus of having it to watch at home is you'll likely spend a second viewing pausing rewinding and going and looking at the various nods in the backgrounds or one-liners to the dc universe also i feel like i will feel less bad about not seeing it sooner if you go out and buy it so if you could do that just for my guilt that would be that would be oh i won't appreciate it obviously i don't do that but i do something close to appreciating it. There's not a word for that, because it's not really an emotion. It's just more expectation. I expect you to go and buy it. Seriously. Come on, I'm sick of bright, fluffy things. Let's go talk about Joker. Yes, we're in Joker's lair. Yes, it was a terrible decision. We'll be getting out of here real soon. But first, player two, I need to tell you what the new Joker movie needs, because obviously Todd Phillips is desperately craving me telling him how to do his job properly. That was sarcasm. Unless, of course, Phillips wants to bring me on as an advisor. My cut is 5% of the profits. Thank you. But seriously, I'm seeing a lot of hate for the new Joker movie, so I want to put some things into perspective. First, there's never going to be another Heath Ledger Joker. He was an artist. You re can't recreate what he did. It was the right time, place, actor and script. Second, when Heath Ledger was announced as the Joker, that the amount of people who said he would never be able to do it, couldn't pull it off, character was too big, too well known, already too well played by Jack Nicholson. Everyone said, you couldn't have a gritty Joker. And then... So, let's take the Heath Ledger Joker and not compare it to anyone else just yet. We can't have Heath Ledger Joker again and nor should we. It was a one-time thing. That's just one of the elements that makes it such a perfect performance. And while I'm not trying to get hyped for this standalone Joker with Joaquin Phoenix, not the one with that guy from 30 Seconds to Mars, I'm also pretty hyped for it. I like his features because they're more sharpened, like the ones I'm used to from the animations and comics. And he's got this look in his eye like, it makes me feel unsure about him. Like, I'd better keep an eye on him, or he might bite me, which I don't think he'd do. He's a vegan. And it could all be for nothing. But if DC have finally worked out how to stay out of the director's way, and they've finally worked out that what we want is closer to the comic books, then maybe this movie will be good. But this is the joke we're talking about here. And no matter what they're doing, I have some thoughts. You see, I've always liked Joker. It wasn't, a few, it wasn't until a few years ago that I realised how much I've really enjoyed watching the bad guys 
be bad guys. It's a sickness, but it's one plenty of us have. Because there's something intriguing about their level of freedom and ability to get the job done that we never really see with the good guys. Joker, though, is ultimately a bad guy. You can't argue that he's not. Though I would argue he's a necessary evil in a world that desperately needs Batman to exist. Joker is the constant reminder for Batman to keep on his guard. To keep himself as someone who's balanced in his approach to life. If Batman wasn't Batman, he'd be Joker. We all know this. We've all seen it. Hell, Scott Snyder basically made a darn good career making it very obvious. And I know I've talked about what makes Batman Batman, but what makes Joker Joker? Just as there are three main ingredients to bats, there are at least three ingredients to Joker. I say at least three because if you've yet to notice, the bad guys are always far more complex than the good guys. That's why it's so much harder to be good. Good requires you to be strict, it requires you to let go of all the frayed edges of yourself, or at least ignore them long enough to get on with making the world a better place. But time is limited, so I'm just going to go with these three to begin with. Intelligence, charm, and violence. Much like with Batman, there's no way you can have a Joker who isn't intelligent. This is the key attribute. Without his scarily high-level thinking, there's no way he'd stand a chance against Batman. His intelligence allows him not only to carry out complex plans, create incredible and dangerous inventions, but also to manipulate bats in a way only he can. Batman's brain is used against him a lot of times, but it's Joker who can really burrow in there like a tick, getting fat off the inky juices of Batman's darkness. And this is how Joker manages to get away every time. Yes, it's also a very handy plot device, but moreover, he knows where the limits are with Batman. It's part of what drives him to break Batman. And when Batman isn't around, he becomes dejected. He enjoys the mental thrill that only Batman's brain can give him. At the same time, dude wants for nothing more than to break Batman's lucidity into a million squiggly pieces. Which brings us to violence. Joker is unbelievably violent. I know, in the early days it wasn't quite so bad, but times change, and while Scarecrow is the stuff of nightmares, Joker is a night terror. There is something that should always feel uneasy about him like a creaking door just off the hinge. He should feel dangerous, as though at any moment his jovial exterior is about to crack and something much more toxic and acidic is about to spew out into the faces of those around him. It should always feel as though violence is right around the corner with him. Because it is. This is the part they got the most right with Heath Ledger's Joker. He threw violence around like a party favour. This is the Joker that was needed for that Batman at that time. Someone who gave so little care for the lives of others, perhaps because he saw them as monsters too, or perhaps because he just didn't care. Someone like that is confronting for Batman, because to an extent, I think Batman feels the same way. But the violence should always bubble over into something unforgivable. And perhaps something that can't be undone. We saw it in Killing Joke. We saw it with Jason Todd. We even saw it with Harley Quinn. And the reason is not just so we can see how out of control Joker is. It's not for Batman's benefit, for him to have a reminder to never go too far. It's also because of the third part of Joker's character. Charm. No matter what Joker does, someone is always following him, and we always forgive him. He is a character as well-known and possibly as loved as Batman. It's not that any of us, well, hopefully, in any way, want to emulate him as a character. He possesses few to no characteristics that are worth emulating, but we always let him back. His arrival is always something greeted by DC fans with a sense of excitement. So charming is the character of Joker that we hate to see him portrayed in a way that would be an insult to the character. 
I'd say we're more unforgiving of a bad Joker than we'll ever be of a bad Batman. And the reason I'm pointing this out is because I think that says something far more sinister about us than it does the writers who've had him do all of these terrible things. We are ready to forgive a character who has a reputation for brutalization, who has done so much harm, caused so much destruction, not only on citywide scales, which quite frankly we don't really connect with, so maybe don't feel as much empathy for, but to characters that are known and beloved. His actions have had far-reaching ramifications throughout the DC universe, and we still forgive him because he's charming. His charm comes in part by the fact he is obviously broken in a way everyone can relate to. I think it works best when you feel like he was once a person, any of us, who had tragedy and pain and that hit him so hard it knocked him clear over the other side of the moral spectrum. A lot of people term him insane, and I guess that's one way to see it, but I'm not sure that language really applies to him. Sometimes I suspect that Joker is more aware of his surroundings, that the reason mental institutions can't help him is that there's nothing deeply wrong with him on a chemical or even kind of mental level. It's not something meditation, medication or mediation can help. I think he's just snapped. In a way, everyone can snap. The difference is, he's stayed in that moment. I think that's why Killing Joke really resonates with a lot of Joker fans, myself included, even if I have serious problems with some of the things that happen in there. Because even if we don't agree that it's a good thing, even if we definitely wouldn't do what Joker does because we hold ourselves to a standard, we all agree he's a monster. But he's also a monster who could be any one of us. Because we all kind of get that all it takes is one bad day. Can't wait to see that film. We should get out of here. He's he's coming. I don't I don't think he's gonna be charming when he arrives. Come on, player two, let's run. Now Well player two, we made it back. You should head home. I don't really think we got the Joker off our tails, so leave it with me. If you enjoyed this trip into the land of pod, please rate it highly wherever you're coming into the land of pod with whatever podcatcher you're using if you want to take issue with the fact that i think bowserette should be a redhead and not a blonde at chaos kitty m on twitter please send me many pictures from really great artists that'll that'll totally show me that i was wrong you can also follow the land of pod on facebook as well until next time player two